This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Neurodiversity is an essential form of human diversity. The idea that there is one normal or healthy type of brain or mind, or one right style of neurocognitive functioning, is no more valid than the idea that there is one normal or right gender, race, or culture. The classification of neurodivergence, e.g. autism, ADHD, dyslexia, bipolarity, as a medical psychiatric pathology has no valid scientific basis and instead reflects cultural prejudice and oppresses those labeled as such. The social dynamics around neurodiversity are similar to the dynamics that manifest around other forms of human diversity. These dynamics include unequal distribution of social power. Conversely, when embraced, diversity can act as a source of creative potential. Psychotherapists who integrate the neurodiversity paradigm into their work do so by refusing to label neurodivergence as intrinsically pathological. Instead of attempting to cure autistic or bipolar clients, for instance, these therapists seek to help autistic or bipolar people thrive as autistic or bipolar people, finding ways of living that are more in harmony with their natural neurological dispositions and helping them to heal from internalized oppression, says Nick Walker. Valeria Tellez interviews Angelica Weeks, a.k.a. Angela She is a 33-year-old mental health clinician who has been working in the field for almost three years now. She is a private practicing psychotherapist, and she also works part-time for a local community college, Edmonds College, as an associate faculty for the Family Life Education Department, FLED. Angela is also a mother to three children. She is also very open about having attention deficit hyperactivity disorder with combined presentation, and that herself and her family are also neurodiverse. Angela's three children are all autistic. It is highly suspected that her husband is autistic as well. Angela openly shares this information with her clients, as this tends to help them feel more at ease to experience representation and to feel understood. She works primarily with those who identify as neurodiverse and trauma survivors. Angela has also worked with a variety of age groups from four up to 65-year-olds. Presently, she has children, adolescents, and adults on her caseload. She enjoys drawing and coloring, reading, playing with her children, going on adventures and exploring the area she lives in, shopping, baking, and spending time with friends and family. Meet Angela at angelica-weeks.clientsecure.me. Here's the interview with Angela Weeks. In your own words, who is Angela Weeks? 
I would say that Angela Weeks is like a person who wears many hats. Yeah, I would say I am a, a mother and a wife, a friend, a sister, and also like within my role and as in my career, I would also say consider myself a, a therapist. That's beautiful. And I wanted to ask you about the inspiration to become a therapist. How did you become a neurodiverse therapist? I love that question. So I think um, for me, it started, you know, just throughout my childhood experiences. I actually experienced trauma when I was younger. And so I, I had a lot of great, like, you know, help and aids and protective factors, people in my life that helped me. But, you know, there were still some things that I struggled with. And as I got older, I realized a lot of it was, um, you know, part of my ability to organize and my ability to, you know, interact with people in a certain way. And, and, you know, I still got along, but it just felt different. And so that's like there in the back of my mind, like still kind of struggling a bit with some of the social aspects and then still succeeding though academically with the help I had. And so I went into social work for my bachelor's, really enjoyed the experience working with youth. From there, moved on to eventually my master's in school counseling. And so actually in that experience, I did a school counseling internship and I love working with kids, but I realized I really struggled to manage all the different like tasks and, and I just couldn't get a grasp. And so during my graduate school time, I went to go get assessed for ADHD and I received that diagnosis of, you know, ADHD. If, um, for those who may not know, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And I was diagnosed with combined presentation, which means I show both hyperactive tendencies and inattentive. Um, and it just made way more sense. Yeah. And so from there, I decided I still want to work with kids. My master's degree actually allowed me to apply for my license in mental health counseling because I took all the same courses as my other colleagues in that field. And so this actually led me to a clinic called Beautiful Autism, where I started meeting with a lot of people who are neurodiverse, identify as neurodiverse. And I found myself also being able to relate to this population, people who are autistic, ADHD. And so, yeah, yeah. And then I, as I moved on to my private practice, I continued to um, like present myself as a neurodiverse therapist. And it seems to work because we all kind of get attracted to each other. That's wonderful to know. I love communities and this idea that we can come together with this shared goal to help one another in a sense of finding ways to integrate ourselves naturally to our narrow, what do you call it? Um, I would say there's something that I read today that's called, uh, let me see here, it's called neurological dispositions. Ooh. So because we are so different, the idea is to find a way to live in harmony with um, our natural neurological dispositions. It, that's what I learned today by reading more about neurodiversity. It was not familiar to me. And then it made so much sense because that's the way I navigate this reality as well. Kind mm -hmm. of have found ways to be in balance with what is here already. So we can resist to fight what is, and that's, that causes so much more problems. I'll be asking you more questions about um, neurodiversity in a moment, Angela. Before that, I have a, another open question 
for you. Mm-hmm. How do you define mental health? The question really is, what is to be mentally healthy? What does it mean to have a normal brain? I would say mental health, that's so broad, um, you know, and I have no problem defining it because I think mental and medical, they both enmesh. But yeah, if I were just to focus on mental health, I would say I think it's just the ability to um, observe and also experience one's functioning in society throughout time and just being able to cope and being able to like survive and and thrive and live. Um, ultimately. And so mental health, I think, is that ability to do so. And so on the offset of that would be when we need treatment for mental health, because our ability to function, thrive, survive, you know, continue moving forward might be halted or might be impaired a bit. And that's also natural, isn't it? To ask for support, to look for support. I love this natural aspect of life. <laughs> Anything that sounds, it inspires nature, natural, it calls my attention. So another open question is about the purpose of the human experience. What do you think that is? I would say, you know, I think it's unique to everyone, but I, I personally know that, you know, we all come from different backgrounds and This can lead to, you know, our perspectives and to an extent bias. But what I would say is I I kind of align with you as well, that aspect of community in that human experience. I think community is a huge part of that. We need people to survive, as you said, to, you know, to be able to ask for help. It's a natural thing. We we grow up with it. We need it, you know, since the moment of conception. So it's just something, yeah, I think part of the human experience is that need of community and to be able to survive in that way. What is your idea of balance, Angela? What is to live this balanced life? Do you have Mm. a description for that per se? Yeah, I would say balance is a combination of being able to serve both your like interpersonal and intrapersonal. And so I'll say interpersonal are those that are around you. We can say community. And intrapersonal is yourself, your personal experiences. So I think a a good balance is being able to serve both so that way you don't, you know, end up in isolation. But at the same time, you do take the time to serve yourself as well. And I think there's a balance in in both. I'll also add, actually, when I write up my treatment um, goals for my clients, I will include both inter and intrapersonal, like, increase in both areas for for my clients to know their boundaries in both of them to be able to serve both areas. Mm, Yeah, that's beautifully said. I haven't heard this way, but makes so much sense again, right? Balancing the way we interact with the world, ourselves and others, right? Bringing them together. I love this holistic way of living. It kind of, it's very attractive to me as well. With that in mind, do you have any spiritual practices? I would say at this time, I don't know about spiritual practices. You know, I could go on a tangent on my (laughs) upbringing, but but I would say that I do believe in some spiritual aspect, like for yourself, like kind of going beyond just like the tangible and going into more of like, I guess like the metaphysical or really like what you are experiencing, meditation, being able to just like take the time to like almost feel like time is halted and just experience the world that's disconnected, I guess, from reality to an extent and just really like 
think of things in a different way, very conceptual thinking. So what is healing to you and what are some of the obstacles to healing, Angela? With healing is that, um, like, for example, when you go to see a doctor or you go for a medical or physical, you know, healing, you have to, like, assess what's going on and then at the same time also give it appropriate recovery like to such injuries, right? Because not all of the injuries are all of the reasons why you would go see someone um, for physical health will be the same. And so I'll say for the same thing with mental health, you know, it's assessing um, what the need is and ultimately, you know, working on that recovery. And I would also add too that no matter the pace, it's just good to know that you're moving forward and, I also like to think of it, too, as um, noticing your healing would be like you noticing your own progress. I shouldn't as a therapist. I really don't like to say like, oh, I can tell you're doing better. I want my clients to be able to identify that. I might ask them. But I think ultimate healing is something where you need to identify it, just like your body physically. You can identify that, you know you are doing better and you are feeling better. I love that idea that we can become more aware in every way, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful way of navigating this reality. And sometimes I wonder if there is um, a destination for these things. It seems like we are always healing, right, Angela? Physically, we are getting hurt or the body's not doing so well one day or it varies from moment to moment. That's what I notice. Even with mental health, emotional health, it never stays the same. Do you get this feeling too? Or you get to experience this? I will say um, two things. One, to also answer the other question about obstacles to healing and then two, about that it's not the same, like it kind of changes. So I think they kind of are intertwined. But I will say like obstacles to healing, I think can be when we do experience um, that lack of community that is for us, and not being able to gauge our own healing, which is why, like I said before, I, um, you know, with my clients, I don't want to be the person to tell them that I think they're doing better um, because then they'll rely on on others and it'll be hard to know if um, you know they truly are progressing that works for them because you'll still kind of feel that like off gut feeling something's not not right or the opposite can happen too where you're told otherwise that you actually are not doing well when really you are yeah so I would say that um, and so with things changing you know often with even just physical, mental, social, emotional health. That's why I really believe it's good that we can kind of notice our own progress so that when there are changes, we can be sensitive to them. Um, and then just, you know, be able to work on it or be able to just pay attention to it and, and do what we need to um, to help. But, you know, it's it's normal. It's, it's part of life. Another question that came to me is, about the connectivity between physical health, emotional, mm -hmm. mental, spiritual, and social. Are they all influencing one another all the time? Do you also see them, mm -hmm. these elements of life, of the human experience, in a way all connected? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And there's actually a type of therapy called um, 
like somatization, which involves, you know, the the body's um, expression of basically our, our emotions. Yeah, I like to take to an extent a psychoeducational approach with my clients, especially those who have experienced trauma, that trauma-informed care. And so, yeah, I'll let them know about their their body and, you know, talk more also about why they might be experiencing some of these symptoms. Um, some common ones are, you know, having a, a stomach ache, you know, for example, but other ones that some people may not realize either are, um, are, you know, some of that like constant tension in your body that happens. And because of that constant tension and inability to relax, you know, your, your muscles are, you know, they're, they're achy. And I've had clients who've had like back pain and I've had clients who've experienced, you know, like headaches often. And then I also like to think about the fight, flight, freeze mode, you know, when we, just want to protect ourselves, that reptilian brain. And I have clients who have told me before they're not sure why they're like, you know, they feel like they're gained like water weight all of a sudden or why they feel like they are just like having stomach issues, gastrointestinal issues. And and so as we talk about that too, that's again that fight, flight, freeze mode of your body getting ready to just protect itself ultimately. Yeah. So we go into those things too. I love this approach of connecting mm. all aspects of the human experience because it's a challenge to separate them, to see human beings as, let's say, parts. It's almost like only focusing on, on the parts in that life as a whole. I guess that's why I love the idea of um, some spiritual teachings, that mm. life is all about wholeness. It works as a whole. All parts work together to realize the whole which is what we see, life itself, the way it's happening. So it's fascinating, this idea. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I agree too. Um, yeah, compartmentalizing yourself is just, it's not really going to help solve the problem or help solve the presenting problem or the struggle because they do intertwine. And you can say the same thing for medical health. If you are experiencing some medical health, oftentimes you might experience mental health that might be impacted too from that. I would love now to talk to you more specifically about neurodiversity. So the first question is a fundamental one. How do you describe what neurodiversity is? Yeah, so neurodiversity ultimately is a person's like brain development that diverges or is diverse compared to what is the majority of society. So I would say that there are, you know, differences in that development. Um, and this could be things as um, as different as, you know, when someone talks, you know, when they first begin to speak versus when someone, you know, first kind of acknowledges or understands certain concepts. So, for example, a lot of autistics, as they develop, can grasp more concrete things like shapes and numbers and colors so much more quickly than I would say are neurotypical. So that's the, you know, the opposite of neurodiverse, but neurotypical, um, you know, individuals. So it's just a, a difference. It's just a neurodivergent uh, people. They're just wired differently, neurologically. Mm -hmm. That's what it is, right, Angela? 
who would be considered neurodiverse? You just mentioned um, autistic people, but then there are different kinds, other kinds, right? With different labels, I would say. It's a lot, but I would say, yeah, autistics, um, those who are ADHD. This would also include those who have like learning disabilities, learning differences, right? So dyslexia, dyscalculia, and such. Um, in addition to that, you know, you can also think about those who are, um, who have a diagnosis also of like bipolar disorders as well. And then some OCD as a lot of these like disorders, these presentations are also comorbid. They get diagnosed oftentimes, sometimes together too, you know? And so, yeah, I know there's a few more, but I don't want to say all of them just in case I'm like, forgetting anyone in particular or forget accidentally one. And another question that comes to me is about this idea of labeling, defining what is different and what is disabled when it comes to the brain functions and all that. Do you make this distinction too, Angela, or you just see everything is different? Every brain is different. <laughs> Yeah. So I think when it comes to the label of disabled, I will say that I think everyone is going to have a different perspective on it. And I think everyone who wants to like identify, you know, if they are neurodiverse, for example, as we we're talking about this, depends how they want to identify themselves. Because I know there are people out there who might be labeled with a disability, but may not identify as having a disability. And then I know people who um, who actually are autistic, for example, who do say, yes, I do have a disability. As a therapist, I don't distinguish or label anyone necessarily as, as disabled. My main focus is, yeah, as you said, the differences. I just want to focus more on the differences. Like for me, it's how do you process information? How do you receive information? I like to also do sensory profiles for Pretty much all of my clients, you can be neurodiverse or neurotypical. It's just really good to see how you interact in your environment and how much input, you know, affects you or how understimulated are you by the environment. So that's a beautiful approach. And I love that, Angela. Thank you for doing what you do. Focusing <laughs> on a way of integrating our inner world into the external world in a natural way. I mean, that's what is to be natural anyway. So, and unfortunately, it's not as easy, right, as we think it is. Mm -hmm. Trying to bring our inner world, I call it, I know you call it mm -hmm. um, from a scientific point of view, uh, neurological dispositions and differences. In my view, I just see as uh, bringing what is already here to the outside and expressing what is natural to us, mm -hmm. to others, in a way that they also perceive as natural. And sometimes it doesn't happen, but it's, um, well, that's not up to us, is it? <laughs> to change the way most people think, uh, which it would be, it's wonderful. And I have seen so many of us, like a lot of the guests that I interview here, uh, doing exactly that, changing some paradigms, not just in the scientific field, but um, in all of them, the health and the spiritual ways of seeing life. So that integration, too, between spirituality and science. So it has been a wonderful experience to witness that. Hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. Would you like to add anything to make any comments, Angela, about the um, how society views at this point to this day differences when it comes to neurodiversity? Do you have some comments to make? Yeah, if anything, I would say, well, one, I live in Washington state, so I know we are at a quote unquote techie um, state and I know we draw in a lot of a lot of autistic populations. So I know here in our state, autistic populations are pretty high. And so I think there's been more integration, at least on, in the western part of the state, you know, Seattle, Bellevue, main cities. So there's been a lot of integration of autism and understanding it more. There's a lot of resources and a lot of programs and a lot of specialized schools over here, you know, that even identify themselves as a neurodiverse school or we'll say like we accept neurodiverse students. So the terminology, at least here on, in the western part of the state, I see. As for outside of the state, I think in general, I think it's hard to determine. I think it is something that is emerging more that I've seen emerge more with technology and being able to like access more information on it. I think it's always going to be something to advocate for when I think life is experienced as a minority. And so I think it's just continuing to live life and continuing to allow this emergence of neurodiversity to become more apparent and, and more known. Yeah, as time goes by. Another question I have about neurodiversity is <laughs> this definition, again, by societies that being autistic, for example, is a disorder. So it's still classified as a disorder. Is that for um, insurance reasons? Do you know anything about it? Um, yeah. So I think it's for insurance purposes. I know and I can't speak for the autistic community necessarily, but what I can say things that I've um, read from the autistic community and also um, having, I don't think I shared this actually before, but also having um, like three autistic children myself. Yeah, I would say that I think the resources are definitely beneficial from the actual diagnosis. I think when you think about the word disorder, I mean, really, it goes into the idea of um, something that just has a dissonance or something that just doesn't allow for for order to be managed, for yourself to be managed. And I think being born into a society where a lot of um, mainstream developmental norms are just not the same for autistics, I, I think it does create, unfortunately, um, an environment where resources have to be sought out. So I would say that, yes, a disorder in that there is a need for resources and to understand and be educated and learn more about, for example, autism or even ADHD. But at the same time, I think if there is a time in the future where it becomes mainstream developmental, you know, information about neurodiverse development, I don't know if it would still be disorder as much as just finding resources to help your child. But, you know, it, it could be because I know, again, it's a spectrum and there are a lot of different people, you know, different experiences. But I always go back to the resources. How, what are the resources in the community allow this person to thrive and really experience it as a disorder or not? 
Odna, right, Angela, yeah. Uh, that's another clear answer, uh, and, and beautiful to hear that, that the community working together with what we have, what they have. So that's really beautiful to know. Another question that came to me is about um, treatments. So I know that being neurodivergent, it's not a disorder, so it's not something that you're mm-hmm. looking for the cure. So Talk to me for a moment about not the treatment. I would say mm-hmm. finding the ways to, how can I put this, the ways to explore more the needs, right, of a neurodivergent so they can adapt better to society in a way, but not even that, just to be happy, just to yeah. thrive as a human being. Yeah, definitely. And as, you know, as um, as every individual is different, you know, I would say, you know, neurotypical or neurodiverse be the same thing. You know, everyone's needs are going to be different. But I would say, at least for myself as a therapist who works with, you know, a lot of neurodiverse clients, I would say, again, um, one of my things is sensory profile is what I really like, you know, trying to get an understanding and my clients as well get an understanding of like how they experience their environment. If they're understimulated, and then that might make sense for some of their behaviors or some of their interests. And then what might overstimulate them, which then also might, you know, explain some of their behaviors and interests as well. Yeah. The second thing that I like to do as well is to provide my um, neurodiverse clients like neurotypical development and not because I want them to like, you know, follow that, but because I want them to know that there are differences you know, as much as often like neurotypical parents or neurotypical people may get to learn about neurodiverse development, I like to flip it and, mm, um, yeah. and my neurodiverse clients, neurotypical development. And, and as someone who is not neurotypical, I think it gets received, you know, in a way that that makes sense because I'll, I'll say like, like we or I don't understand this either. But I do know that this is how things, you know, happen or how they develop in this way. And so it's I think it's nice to have something tangible and then to know that there are similar experiences. It's just different. And a good example of this is rigidity. For example, you know, autistics might be, for example, told that they can be really rigid. And they'll say, well, neurotypicals are very rigid, too. (laughs) Yes. On binary things, you know, we're black and white in a more generalized way. A lot of neurotypicals are generally black and white rigid in a generalized manner. Um, And so on a one-on-one basis, it doesn't look like rigidity. But if you take a step back, a really big step back and look at look at our society, generally, it is very black and white. I love the way you do the flip, right? <laughs> Which has everything to do with education. You call it psychoeducation. I never heard mm-hmm. it that way, uh, this term. Oh, yeah. That makes sense too. And then I have one more question about the misconceptions about neurodiverse individuals. Mm-hmm. We have heard about some of them being geniuses. I think you call a savant. I'm not sure how to pronounce oh, that. Savant. Savant, yeah. So talk to me about the misconceptions. I would love to hear more about it. Oh, yeah. I will say I, well, perhaps I've had like clients who may or would be diagnosed with savant syndrome, but perhaps have not received that diagnosis. But I would say that 
Yeah. Again, like like I was saying before, with development from the beginning of of life, like I had shared before, that you know when it comes to those who are neurodiverse, the things that tend to get focused on or developed are different than what neurotypicals would. So what may appear to be social development much more quickly, or at least focused on. On the other hand, too, the development of like grasping concepts for a lot of neurodiverse individuals might come first, then the social, while it could be flipped with neurotypicals where there's the more social aspect and then concepts get developed later. So it's, yeah. And so I would say, though, um, that either way, I think anyone can be, of course, a genius. I think, though, with um, with autistics, though, it's just the focus. And I think what, again, different development, what they will, neurodiverse people will ultimately focus on is going to be different than the norm. So it's going to look so much more, it's just, it's just going to look so much more different. But I think, I think it is amazing. It's, I think it's a hard thing for me a little bit to kind of explain as well, because I feel like I can talk a whole hour. about that. <laughs> Yes, I can imagine. <laughs> but I'll give an example of myself, though. Yeah, um, I yeah. have a very high IQ, especially in verbal comprehension. So I see patterns often in people's rhetoric behaviors, and, and I can make connections very, very, very fast. And so this brings me to a high, high intellect. And so there's, there's ups and downs to it. Um, it's not a bad thing. But I, I do appreciate it. But it's something that I personally have realized that um, not a lot of people are as fast as my brain is to be able to comprehend and make conclusions to things very quickly about what people say and, and do. And so when you bring up the, um, you know, about the misconception or conception of autistics or people who are neurodiverse and possibly genius, I would say that there's, again, the ups and downs of what that means. So I think it's not as black and white. I love how you keep going back to this idea of not being black and white, that we are all mm -hmm. unique, that mm -hmm. it's just different. I love that message, Angela. Thank you. What is success to you these days? What is to be successful to you? Mm, yeah, I would say again, like I think I've kind of said for some of the um, questions asked, um, but answered in a similar way that I think it's going to look different for everyone. But I think success is going to be something ultimately going back to that balance. I think you talked about too that balance between interpersonal and intrapersonal experiences in, in a positive way, right? I think I think that is what success can look like. And so again, that'll that'll look different for everyone. Um, whether neurodiverse or neurotypical, different cultures, whether collectivist or, you know, individualistic cultures. But I think that balance that fits for you. And so for someone who's, you know, for example, autistic, maybe interpersonal, that connection with others, you know, as I talk with a lot of clients, their bucket gets filled very quickly compared to who are neurotypical, but they still want that connection, of course. So it may not be as balanced, maybe... Um, you know, a little less what people might consider social interactions, but, you know, a lot more time for themselves. But for someone like me, I really am extroverted and love spending time with people. So I think time with others is much more higher and time with myself is a little bit less in comparison, but that's the balance for me. But that may not fit for someone else. 
A beautiful answer, Angela, the balance, going back to balance. Success means balance, right? You know, we see that in nature, right? Nature seems to be very balanced um, when you look at it. Another question that I have, the ending questions is, it's a fun one from my perspective. What do you love most about being in a human body? Hmm, about being in a human body. Oh, I like that. It's very conceptual. Yeah, I would say I think what I enjoy most is like kind of like the view. I think I really enjoy being able to like engage and interact in my environment with that human experience and not just like engage and interact alone, you know, not just like moving through things, right? But knowing that I make an impact, knowing that like every step I take, every word I say, everything I do, I mean, there is going to be some sort of impact. It's nothing will be the same with my presence and with everyone's presence, right? People who stop their car at that stoplight, right? Like there's another car behind them. Like that's just, that's going to make a change and it's going to be an impact. may not be a big impact, but I think the human experience, we really, I think, really do impact one another, whether very minimally or very severely. And it's just a constant like system, constant system and community of, of functioning. And another question is, what is another word for freedom? Mm, hmm, I like that. I'll have to think about that for a moment. Another word for freedom. Because again, I think there will be perspectives. But I think another word for freedom could be, um, and this goes back to, again, I think there's like a pattern here, but it goes back to that balance. I think freedom might like look like that balance and feeling in control of being able to balance out your your life or feeling like as if you you do have the majority of that control, which is what I actually work on with a lot of my clients, what you can and cannot control, you know? And so I think, yeah, I think freedom is being able to get to that place to realize and understand your balance. I do want to be sensitive and say that I do understand that there are things out there, you know, in our society that unfortunately do have a heavy impact on people's ability to be able to experience, I think, freedom in other ways as well. So again, I do want to be sensitive to that and and not overlook how certain systems can negatively impact others. But I do go back again to that balance because because I think in the end, when you can find it wherever you are, at least, I think that control is really hopeful to be able to see and, and know what you do have in your hands, at least at that time. And my last question is, what three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? I like the existential questions you asked too. So every, three, hmm, okay, yeah, I think two for a moment. I would say being a, I would say one is being able to experience life with others. And when I say with others, I mean, intentionally taking the time to like share and engage in experiences together, right? Whether it's taking that time to just, you know, experience life with, with a friend and being able to know that you can rely on them and you can both have that same like empathy connection experience togetherness, right? It, it can be in a romantic relationship. It can be with your children. Um, but you know, I would say that intentionality of doing that. 
Second thing I would say is also experiencing life in and of itself with you, with just yourself, right? Being able to experience life at times on your own. And this could be going on a walk. This could be taking the time to read a book. This could be also sitting in nature or just doing something that's just the only intention is just for you. I would say that would be good too. Again, that balance. And then I would say the third thing too would be to be able to like understand your your value and understand your worth in life. Going back to that, like we impact our world no matter what we do, you know, everything is going to have an impact. And so I think being able to find that value and worth you have, I think is going to allow you to be able to do the first two. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yes. I love your wisdom and your clarity, <laughs> Angela. Thank you so much for sharing you with the world, <laughs> with us. I want to thank, thank you, you again. Yeah, thank you for your presence here today, for the work you do, for your intention and everything that you represent. Thank you so much. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your work, services and future projects? I know I have started my private practice about eight months ago, so I'm still setting some things up. But I can be found on Psychology Today if you look up Angela Weeks. And so that's and from there, I have um, like my website link is there as well. And then my work history is there as well. As for projects, I'm actually starting. It's going to be next year, the start of next year, because it's a little bit of a slow burn with getting this started. But I'm wanting to do some research on development of neurodiverse children. And so I'm just going to be um, I'm making connections with local schools and local developmental preschools and just taking that time. So it's 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 coming, but it's going to it's going to take some time before I really put it out there even more. And I'll have the website available on your podcast profile. So listeners and readers, they'll just click on the link. Thank you so much again for your presence. And we'll talk soon, Angela. Bye for now. Yeah, thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Angela Weeks and her work, please visit angelica-weeks.clientsecure.me. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.